1: Hello and welcome to episode two of Faster Stronger Orange on the Troy Nunes is an Absolute podcast. I'm Kevin Wall. This week we're going to be talking Syracuse soccer with our own Steve Holler. Steve and I are going to talk about new SU women's coach Nikki Adams and look at how her program can maybe emulate some of the things that coach Ian McIntyre has done with the Syracuse men. Let's get to the interview with Steve. All right, so uh, now on Faster, Stronger, Orange, we're going to talk soccer uh, with Steve Haller. Steve, welcome and thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, good to be here, and you know, it's always uh, nice to hit the other parts of media. The Noons, uh, Noons verse. That's
1: right. You know, we're trying to hit the Olympic sports here on this version of the Troy Noons is an absolute podcast, and with the Women's World Cup in full swing, we thought to take advantage in, in this episode talk about SU soccer programs and. And uh, we're not going to talk about uh, running up the score or showboating and celebrating after you score goals <laughs> here, but uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the women's soccer program at SU, which is uh, under some new leadership and new direction with uh, Nikki Adams joining Syracuse from coming from Rice.
0: Yeah, she uh, she ended up, I mean, she was pretty successful at Rice over her tenure there. And uh, it's, it's good to see, you know... Um, after the the dearth of what has happened in recent years to the women's program. uh, Nice to see some new blood in there.
1: Right, and so she's the fourth coach in program history. And and I think, for me, expectations are going to to be tempered the first year. Um, You're talking about a coach who comes into a program after Syracuse signed their recruiting class for next year. So, you know, probably expect a, a bumpy first year for her. Would that be accurate in your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, she came in after after signing or after the, the recruiting class was signed, and also without uh, I believe both both keepers that had any time both have graduated. Right. So uh, it's it's a it's a bit of a weird weird spot for the, the women's program. Uh, they do have a good bit of talent on the roster, but uh, it it'll be it'll be a challenge to to get the most out of it just from you know instituting a new system in one year.
1: Not only a new system in one year, but when we talk about ACC, we talk about how tough of a conference it is in other sports, but women's soccer is uh, right up there as well.
0: Yeah, if, uh, if anyone thought the men's uh, league was competitive, the women's league is just as much, if not more.
1: <laughs> right. And uh, looking at SU's uh, 2019 fall schedule, they've got 17 games and eight of them are against programs that were in the NCAA tournament last year. Um, not exactly the the kind of uh, first year schedule I think a new coach wants, but that that's just unavoidable in a conference of this nature.
0: Right. No matter where, if she's coming into the uh, coming into the ACC, uh, whether it's at SU or wherever it would be, she's she's not going to come into an easy easy schedule at least.
1: So in this case, you know, Syracuse went with someone who's got experience as a head coach and. Um, what, what's your take for um, a sport that combines a lot of uh strategy and and technical aspects to it to having someone who's run their own program uh
0: in the college game it definitely definitely can't hurt uh you see you see guys at the the professional level where um, maybe they've been around professional clubs you know they've had tenure um i i guess i as a chelsea fan i look at the um, current situation at Derby county with frank lampard his first head coaching gig he ended up almost getting them promoted this year that's a whole different situation where you know they've played in systems they've been around it for years in this case uh at the college level being able to if nothing else recruit and have the experience recruiting uh really really can benefit someone taking over a new program
1: so we talk about recruiting and i thought it was interesting because it um you know preparing for this i was wasn't sure how someone who played at Texas A&M, like uh, Coach Adams did, coached at Rice, has spent primarily, you know, career in Texas, was going to transition to the Northeast in recruiting. But checking the Rice roster from last season, they actually had six players from Canada and five from California. So, seems like the the coaching staff had some inroads in recruiting in those areas, and especially with Canada, that that's that's probably a um, a little bit reassuring for Syracuse fans wondering how a coach is going to transition to the northeast
0: yeah I mean uh, if you can pull folks from Canada down to Texas I mean you can easily pull them a state away It, uh, it definitely couldn't hurt and every other program we have has a a very solid track record as far as the Canadian recruits go.
1: Right. I mean, I think we could spend uh, an hour or so talking about the last 10 years about impact student-athletes who've come to Syracuse from across the border in Canada. And so, you know, we joke about it a lot on the blog, but Canada's college team is, is kind of accurate in some respects because we, you know, you're talking about four hours from Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, and, you know, Folks who aren't scared about those recruiting, oh, you know, the weather in Syracuse and other concerns. And, and so it, it does provide a tremendous access to the coaches at SU.
0: Right. I mean, look at last year. Uh, I think Max, starting 11 for the men's soccer team, had seven out of their starting 11 were Canadian. Right. Or it might have been seven players on the roster, six were starters. But either way, uh, some crazy numbers.
1: Right. And I think, uh, you know, I want to go back to mac and how he's built the program in a little bit to to talk about it but i think the the challenge that i see and and you can tell me um was offensively for the syracuse team last year 18 games they scored 11 goals um you know by comparison's sake and i know that it's not the same because of the the quality competition but but rice had 26 as a team and so hopefully, right. um, you know, Nikki Adams was a, an offensive player in college. Uh, and so hopefully that sort of, um, maybe style of play will, will transition. I mean, it, you can have the best keeper in the world, but if you, if you can't score, it's very tough to win games, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, no matter what, you got to put the ball in the back of the net. But, um, one thing, and just anecdotally, I didn't watch a ton of the, the women's matches last year. I think I cut two or three, but, um, being able to play through the midfield will be something they really will need to work on, just to to link up play from the defense to their forwards. Um, I mean, there there's a decent amount of talent on the park, mm-hmm. even though it didn't. Uh, I guess between the the recruiting classes and um, any ratings, it didn't really seem so. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch if you watch them play, there's there's plenty of individual talent, but uh, being able to actually link from the the back to to the attack should be something that they really focus on
1: yeah and you you mentioned that i'm looking at statistics right now and last year they gave up 313 shots on goal um so 17 shots per game and only averaged 130 and only averaged seven themselves so you you, you're you're right there you're you're telling me that you know you're not keeping the ball enough you're playing back you're playing on your heels and and you know when it, when you're trying to face quality competition, if you give people that many opportunities, eventually they're gonna they're gonna cash in.
0: Right, and at the st- same time, for uh, Coach Adams, it's gonna be it's gonna be a step up from Conference USA to the ACC. Right, but um, I mean the the style of play, and if she she's I, I don't know whether she's a system coach or not, or how she's uh, looking to to line people up, but um as long as she sticks with the guns, you know, the, it should translate. It's just a, a level of competition that uh, she may not be used to.
1: Right, and I think, you know, people have to be patient. I know that uh, might might seem like if you have a team that was 0-10 in conference play like women's soccer was last year, that to understand that things might get worse before they get better. But I think in this case, when you've got so much transition in a roster, and like you said, players learning a new system, and starting later, you know, they didn't really have the sort of off-season prep work, that they might have had with a you know getting a coach in earlier, that it might it might take some time for them. But uh, you mentioned some talent on the team, and I'm wondering uh, about Georgia Allen. And I know Georgia's got a one year left and was named to England's under 21 team. I mean,
0: yeah. always always good to see uh, any of any sort of internationals from any uh, any line of play. International being you know someone representing themselves on the international stage, not so much players coming in from other countries but um, any anytime anyone can get a call up to a, a youth national team or and usually a youth national team from the college ranks um, it's it's always great to see uh, and England is turning into a very strong system so they're probably one of the handful of teams that has a chance at the uh, the women's Cup this summer so uh, to see George Allen in the mix at the uh, and actually represented them at the u20 World Cup right so, uh, it's, it's promising to, to see what, uh, what she can do moving forward. You know, the, the one year she has left, but mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And I think that uh, I'm not as familiar with a lot of players on the team, but, you know, seeing that news, I, I know that she actually missed the start of last year's season while she was playing for England internationally. And when you have a player of that caliber, uh, missing time especially in the preseason that's not going to help a, a program that's looking to, to find their footing so hopefully she'll be she'll be there for start of preseason camp and and you know using that international experience to help bring along some of the teammates and younger teammates
0: yeah definitely um but it can only hurt or help um it'll be it'll be good to see especially you know having a, a midfielder in, in camp from the beginning uh that can do what she can do but um yeah i mean there's it's going to be an uphill climb for this for this team in general but hopefully they uh this this squad can set the ground ground floor for anything moving forward right
1: and if they are looking for a program to sort of model themselves after they don't have to look too far do they
0: no uh there's uh pretty much right across ainsley they can figure out uh, what mac's doing right
1: and so i wanted to talk a little bit about what mac is doing and, and what he's done since he took over i mean what can you say about um the men's team as they you know stepped into acc competition and, and stepped right into uh, role contending
0: yeah it's <laughs> just watching this this men's team in general and watching acc men's soccer um for reference the SU squad last year had one win in conference play, and they were a, what, 16 seed in the right. NCAA tournament. So they were the 16th best team in the country, and they only won one league game out of the eight they played. So it's uh, it's pretty competitive in the ACC.
1: Probably a bigger um, grind than men's basketball. In it,
0: terms yeah, of, you definitely. Know, in
1: terms of the balance and, and quality of opposition.
0: Yeah, on the, on the men's soccer schedule you may have two teams that if you're scheduled against them you should beat them everything else is at best a coin flip so it's uh it it's a grind but um i mean mac took over in 2010 uh it's it's been a a ride i mean he's he's brought this program from what was a, a not great program in the big east i mean his when he took over his first two years they were I think well under 500, right? like maybe winning like two or three games and uh, turned them into basically perennial contenders for the NCAA tournament. And it's been a, been a slow build, but a, a consistent build and he's used a couple of tricks to, to get there. So
1: yeah. What will you want to expand a little bit about on, on those tricks because uh...
0: <laughs> well, well you did touch on one of the tricks and it's finding all the Canadian talent. Right. Um, <laughs> Basically, even, even from the beginning, he's been bringing in solid players from across the border, be it, you know, uh, Skyler Thomas, Chris Nanko, um, Jordan Merle, uh, and more recently, I mean, last year, like I said, they had six or seven starters, including Tejon Buchanan mm-hmm. and, and Kamal Miller. I mean, Kamal Miller, is, he's playing for the Canadian National Team in the Gold Cup this summer, uh, and he was our center back last year. He's a player for, the, uh, for Orlando City right now. So it's it's crazy to see what he's done with the the talent that he can find just outside our front door,
1: and he's found that talent a little bit further down the street too, um, with the bringing players over from Europe with some yeah, success. They've, uh,
0: <laughs> they've done a good bit of that as well. I mean, you look at even recently, Julian Boucher was. I mean, he was drafted. He played uh, played in MLS for a couple of years. Currently playing in the Canadian Premier League. Um, you've got guys like Mo Adams, who's starting for the Chicago fire. Um, ben Polk. I mean, yep. Yep. Ben Polk, who, uh, I think he was actually a Darby County kid going back to our okay. earlier comment, but, um, or no, Mo was the, uh, the Darby County kid. Um, but yeah, Ben, Ben came in, played at, uh, actually played over at Herkmer community college and then, uh, signed on with SU for his last two. And it was a great, great addition to the team. So, and then not to mention the, um, with Yuca the, uh, connection to the Scandinavian sides. Correct.
1: And, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't remind people that it hasn't been, just been recruiting international athletes, um, that they, they've done a good job. When I mean, you talk about right in your backyard, but right outside your front door, um, you know, recruiting local talent, um, not only from the Syracuse and upstate area, but in the Northeast. I mean, Alex Bono and, yeah. and Miles Robinson, um, you know, two Athletes who would probably be right in what we would call the prime Syracuse recruiting footprint. You oh know? yeah,
0: definitely that whole northeast from. I mean, I guess Baldwinville, Baldwinville is considered relatively local. Right. You know, less than less than ten miles from campus is a decent place to find a keeper, but um, that whole northeast footprint. I mean, being able to steal miles from any of the solid soccer programs in the northeast is it was a huge get.
1: And, um, Miles, someone that, uh, is really sort of blossomed in, in MLS play this year. And how does that sort of exposure do you think help the program?
0: Uh, it definitely can't hurt. Um, I mean, to see, uh, like I said, Miles came in, he was an exceptional talent when he came in, but to even see in the year he was here, the development from, uh, his first game to his last was, was pretty solid. And to, I guess have him and his name out there saying saying good things about Syracuse can only help Mac and the the squad. So it, I'd uh, I'd say it's a, a positive, right?
1: So you know, a lot of times on on the the site, there's a lot of comments and conversation and and beyond in Syracuse social media realm about early departures and especially at men's basketball and how they they hurt the program. And and you look at men's soccer and, and the number of players that they've had that have departed early um, for, for professional opportunities, and, and yet they seem to find a way to sort of reload.
0: Yeah, it's a weird, like, you you hate the cliche, they don't rebuild, they reload. Um, Max really doing that. He's got, what, five straight generation Adidas kids right. that have gone early and signed with MLS, and he's still... You know, between bringing in grad transfers, between between bringing in, you know, smart recruiting classes, guys that are program guys, as well as actually kind of the uh, the Bayheim model mm-hmm. where you you pull your couple of, you know, extremely high talented kids that you know you're going to lose or you think there's a chance you might lose. And then you s- basically supplement them with, um, you know, your much more developmental um, players and your program yeah. players. So it's, it's definitely worked, worked in his advantage. I mean, at the same time, look at one of those quote unquote program guys, Kamal Miller, four year, four year player, four year starter for SU is playing for Orlando city and on the Canadian national team. Right.
1: Right. So that balance and and having that sort of, uh, strategic planning to understand, you know, who's potentially going to go and having options available has been the thing that I think has impressed me, um, about the program, um, you know, you, you wonder after you hit that initial success and then you lose someone like an Alex Bono who who did you who know, departs early and then how do you how do you balance that off and then you continue to lose guys to the generation Adidas contracts and, and you know, top ten picks in the MLS draft and and yet the program seems to find a way to to keep pushing forward and keep moving forward. And another one of those program players was Hendrik Hilpert, who was four year starter in net, I believe, right?
0: Oh yeah. From the day he walked on campus. So
1: there, those are big shoes or big gloves that the the orange are going to have to fill in the fall. How do you how do you think the team's going to be looking to to replace someone that integral?
0: Yeah, that if I if I remember right, I think Max bringing in a uh, or no, he's got a, a solid freshman coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, e- either way, no matter what, trying to replace Hilbert is not going to be an easy uh, easy task. And you've got a couple of guys that have been on the roster for a while. Um, like, uh, Jake Leahy, who's going to be a, a rising junior. I think he played in some of the spring games that I mm-hmm. saw, but, um, overall it's going to be going to be a tough, tough fill for Hendrick. I mean, on the field and off the field, he was just an exemplary person to have around the program. And
1: I believe one of the incoming transfers, I think from Stony Brook was a keeper. Um, you know, I had a lot of talk about transfer portal these days as it relates to football and men's basketball, but uh, soccer is one of those sports where they do have an immediate transfer. Um, so these athletes, and I believe it was four or five that Max got um, four transfers yeah. that were added. You mentioned it uh, when we were talking before, two that came in in January and two more that are joining the team, and they'll be eligible to go right mm. away, which I think is a, a, a big... A big uh, Big impact and, and something that the women's program may be looking at, too, um, whether or not it's yeah. this year or down the road, is sort of these um, experienced uh, transfers who come in from other programs uh, with an understanding of what it takes to be successful at the Division I level that can help bring along these younger younger talents.
0: Yeah, and Mac's been doing that for a while, and that, that odd noise that you probably heard in the background there would have been... Uh me having an epiphany of remembering what (laughs) Kevin was talking about. And I think if I remember right, it was the, the kid from Stony Brook is Swiss. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, he was their starter if I remember right. Um, But he'll uh, he'll probably come in and fill in for Hilpert or at least challenge for the job. So that's a, that's always solid. Um, And then I believe there's a grad transfer defender who will fill in for last year's great transfer defender in Len Zugner. Um, so, I mean, Max definitely played this game before. Uh, he, he knows how to work the the ins and outs of the the transfer game. Right. So.
1: Yeah, and, and we don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like these are just uh, athletes that are here for, for one purpose. Um, I you know want to mention that I saw that men's soccer had the highest uh, GPA among SU men's teams. The last oh, yeah. year so and that was that was definitely helped on by Hilbert as well uh it doesn't hurt right when you have someone who's a 3-9 or four zero um close if if he wasn't a full four zero, I believe through his four years and uh someone who certainly uh exemplifies the the student athlete uh title and uh and uh just a teaser for folks though we'll, we'll have some interviews coming up on this podcast with some other uh, outstanding student athletes uh there's a lot of them at SU that you may not hear about but but yeah they they've they've um the coaching staff with men's soccer has really done uh, a fine job of you know taking a program uh, building it up and then and then working to maintain that level against tougher competition and and so i to me that gives us some hope that uh you know women's program if they've got the right coach in place and and our patient can can see some of those strides. Yeah. And
0: it seems like the the department as a whole is uh, more than willing to, um, I, I guess it's not like it was before the gross era. Um, as for as many bad things as, you know, came out of the gross era, we, uh, we did have a rise in the Olympic sports. Yes. Uh, I believe that currently Wild Hack will continue that trend. Uh, it doesn't seem like he's dumping the budgets for everybody. And, uh, well, telling you to go eat off a plate for uh for anyone that isn't football or basketball anymore like yeah there's things may have happened way in the past so
1: that, that's uh certainly true i think and, and um you know the time where i was competing and, and under jake uh, the athletic budget was nowhere near what it must be now and so yeah the um olympic sports were were, were kind of operating um you know, kind of limitations, I guess, would be the best term, and and those certainly changed under uh, Dr. Gross, and with money from the ACC, and then the upcoming ACC network, and, and hopefully money that, uh, revenue that's generated by a successful football program, and translating into bigger crowds at the Dome, uh, will, will certainly go a long way to keeping these uh, Olympic sports programs uh, moving along and, and succeeding. I think that's, uh, you know, if we look at, look at volleyball and, and women's ice hockey who both made an inaugural NCA tournament appearances last year. And so there's certainly uh, a lot of room for optimism that women's soccer can, you know, <clears throat> make that long that slow, tough climb, uh, to that level.
0: Yeah, it should be, uh, it'd be good to see. And hopefully, uh, they can get back on track with the rest of all these programs on the rise. So,
1: and I think with the, uh, exposure of the network uh, certainly is going to help these uh, olympic sports what, what are your thoughts on you know the ability now for not just uh hey you can watch our games on an app uh, to have a dedicated channel that's going to be carried by some major providers for these coaches to to expand on that recruiting uh footprint or to tap into some talent that's maybe outside of what's traditionally been that northeast pipeline
0: yeah i mean i i Thought it was the, the greatest things in the sliced bread when they ended up on the ESPN Plus app, so going from that to actually a nationwide available channel uh, should only do good things for the programs in general. I mean, it's it's only a plus.
1: Yeah, it, it, well, it's you know it's something that uh, I'm curious to see the impact on and um, how the ESPN is going to present um, these sports outside of just you know covering games and offering them. Um, because I think there's an opportunity uh, to do a lot. And, and when we talk about both men's and women's soccer and the level of success that ACC schools have, I, I would imagine it's going to be uh, prominently featured in the fall.
0: Yeah, I can I can only imagine they're probably going to play as many feature matches per uh, per day as they can. Um, it's, it's a really competitive, really quality league on both the men's and women's side, so we should be able to get a good look at both sides uh, whenever we get the chance to great.
1: And, uh, I'm sure as we move forward on this and we, we get to the August and the start of the season, we'll, we'll definitely have you back to provide some updates and, and, and certainly, uh, see how the, the teams are progressing and, and see how the, the women's team looks, uh, under a new coach and, and with it, they have a new system and, and that sort of style of play and be easier for folks like me to, to catch them, uh, games on, on, on the network, ACC network and, have a little bit better idea of what we're talking about
0: yeah sounds like a plan and if anybody uh feels like getting in touch with me when i'm up at the hill i'll be at every men's game and probably a couple of women's games so uh always feel free to reach out uh at dutch Hart on twitter and uh check out uh if you're interested in other soccer talk the no stoppage podcast which uh basically focuses on acc stuff
1: great and we'll be sure in the episode info for this one to give people that information again in case they didn't catch it Steve thanks for your time and uh, look forward to talking soccer again and, and hopefully uh, we can uh, talk about the US women's team with their uh, snotty uh, double digit lead goal celebrations <laughs>
0: yep yeah that was uh, that was a thing <laughs> and uh, you know hey we're in first and we're on top of goal differential so I'm not going to complain but Thanks again, Kevin. Appreciate uh, appreciate uh, having me oh, on. No,
1: anytime, Steve. Thank you.